All right. Hello. We're here today with Tyler Rooney, the co-founder and chief product officer with Format. And they've been running Format for a while now. And I want you, Tyler, to go ahead and dive into the quick 30-second overview of how y'all got into it and how you got to where you are now. And just try to keep us concise and simple because we'll dive into the details here in a bit. Yeah. So uh, I'm a developer by training, like study computer science. And uh Worked, uh, did different kind of consulting gigs, worked at Amazon, that kind of stuff, and always knew I wanted to start something. My co-founder uh, is a designer by trade, and he pitched the original idea for Format, which is to make a tool for a creative professional to let them easily build and update a beautiful portfolio website. In um, school, and he knew tons of people who didn't have portfolio websites and weren't showcasing their work, and he, uh, and me being a you know your typical engineer said why can't they just you know build a website or why can't they just use WordPress or you know that kind of stuff and he walked me through it and he explained like what he he would do for friends who were like trying to get stuff done and uh, yeah he and then I did some really really basic back of the envelope calculations I was like yeah let's give us a try um, and at the time we were freelancing so um, you know your standard kind of Worked worked on the beta like while freelancing and switched over to full time eventually. Okay, and so how long? Uh, kind of walk me through the number of years from juggling this as a side project and freelancing to switching full time to now. How many years total in are y'all? Uh, so our code base turned eight years old in November. So we. I moved back to Toronto in 2008, and I think sometime like the summer of 2008, Lucas and I had conversations about. It. Well, we were we were sitting on a patio at a bar, like is where he pitched me the idea. So it was definitely the summer, and then we kind of like finally in earnest, like he did some basic designs, and and yeah, we started working on it. Like I said, November of 2008, and. Literally, we we had like a couple like beta users. When I say beta, I mean like alpha alpha users. And we got took us about a year and a half before we got to a place where we thought we could actually like do a public beta and not worry about you know people signing up, and uh, or that they would be like just completely lost. And it was around that time, so that would have been um, that would have been. Oh, got to get my year straight, 2009. So the summer of 2010, um, we would have, literally we were going to launch, and just to give you, I, I always like this story because it gives you, uh, you know, scope on how much we've progressed. We were like, okay, now we just got to like add, like we had integrated with a payment processor, but we hadn't gone through like all the paperwork. And like they were pretty like progressive at the time. It, and they're like, okay, we just need to turn this on. They're like, no problem. We're going to send you all these documents. you got to fax them back to us. We're going to send them to the bank. They're going to go through their process, blah, 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 blah. It took four weeks. Um, <laughs> and it was like that was streamlined. And uh, we're like, oh, what are we going to do? And so we instead we just launched it and we're like, it's free for the first month for everybody. Uh, and and then when we actually added, like when we were able to turn on the payment form, uh, two people signed up like on the first day. And I was like, something might be working here. Like something, we might actually figure something out. Well, and that's Basecamp. Uh, when they originally launched, they did it the same way. They didn't even have a billing system, right? They yeah. built it after the fact. And right. I think a lot of people would have been like, oh, we've got to wait to launch to make money. It's like, no, just launch and take money when you can. Uh, because 
you know, everybody wants to wait until it's perfect, but it's never going to be perfect, right? Eight years later, is it perfect yet? <laughs> so y'all probably should have waited to launch, right? Um, so how long, so when you went full-time, were you immediately, did y'all wait until it could completely cover your salaries or did y'all take a pay cut to, to be able to switch over so you could focus on it more? How'd that unfold? Yeah. So when we, so what was happening was that, um, uh, myself and Lucas, my co-founder, we were also partners in a, um, freelance, you know, design and web development shop with uh, two other guys. And we had, um, two other freelancers who kind of worked with us and, one of our major clients was was kind of wrapping up their project with us. They were finally like hiring everyone they needed internally, and um, our other big client was also looking to hire people like full time to to replace us. And they actually hired one of the people who worked with us in the end, so that worked out well for everybody. And we we were kind of Lucas and I were kind of like, uh, should we do this full time? Should we not? What should we do? And we were trying to figure out what to do with the consulting business. In terms of should we just wrap it up? Should we like you know fold it? And uh, one uh, one of our partners at the consulting company, he was kind of like, well, if I was you guys, I know what I would do. I would be doing this full time. Like I wouldn't even be thinking about it. And so that made Lucas and I kind of be like, oh, okay, we really should be doing this full time. And and our our two partners from the consulting company came on to format part time uh, that January. Um, Mike who's our CTO now and, and Dave's our, our COO, like they're, they're our partners in our consulting company. Um, so they came on board part-time for about nine months and then they started full-time after that. Um, and when they started full-time, I think we were paying like some very bare bones salaries then. Like I think we were paying ourselves, I don't know, 30, 40 grand a year or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, maybe not even that. Um, but even I, I was fortunate enough that I didn't like I, I didn't really uh, need the salary at the time, and we definitely needed the money. Kind of like, oh my, more person, can we hire like one person? And so I think we had seven people on payroll before I got paid. I think it took me about two. Like, I think I I got back paid later on, um, but it took um, it definitely took a while for me to get paid. Like, it definitely took a while for me to get paid. So, um, and y'all didn't raise any money at all, so it was just. No, self-funded out of your own pockets, out of your own. Yeah. So like when we, so when we decided to go full time, we probably had like maybe a hundred customers, maybe a couple hundred customers. And I remember our big push like the next year was like, um, cause back then we got an email every time someone signed up and like we had like our like daily, like, you know, payment jobs. And we were, we were so excited to get to 2000 people and like, we like, it finally happened on like a Saturday afternoon and like we all emailed each other. We were super happy about it. And like we went out to dinner and stuff like that. And, and I think at that point it was just the four of us plus, um, our customer support lead who like, he was our first hire and he was, he, he worked with us, uh, part time. And we originally hired him, I think to work like three days a week for five hours a day or something like that. Like just talk about, talk about a limited number of hours. And he now manages a team of six, like, so, um, it's awesome to see those kind of things progress and people grow into roles. Um, but, uh, yeah, back then it was, it was definitely kind of, and I remember being at 2000, we we're like, Oh, that's fantastic. And we're like, Oh, we'll have to do it, you know, at 4,000 or 10,000. And we never celebrated another milestone like that ever again. Yeah. Um, so, 
Um, but uh, yeah, at that at that point, like, yeah, the the way we had kind of structured those first nine months with Dave and Mike was um, uh, they were we we kind of came up with the, like we're we'll either give you like this much equity or we'll pay you this much based on how things go, and and then at the end of it, it was like clear that everyone should be working on it and blah, blah, blah. So then we figured out terms to like convert it, like everything they worked in into equity. Um, and that's, yeah. So we never raised money. Um, but we were pretty much like, like our server costs in the early days were almost nothing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it was like one server on EC2 kind of thing. And, uh, we were, we were break even on that pretty quickly. And then literally it was just about increasing that until we were like, Oh, we can, I'm pretty sure we had we were probably paying well we were definitely paying Stefan our support lead. I think we hired one other person before we were paying ourselves. Um, and like even those people, we had to be like, do you have your own computer that you can use? <laughs> like things like that. Like it was, it, well, you and, know, there's. And y'all didn't have to worry numbers. about healthcare being up in Canada, right? Yeah, like I've, I mean, I guess there's probably taxes and things like that that help cover it, but not like we do down here in the U.S. No, so like we. We were also really fortunate. The office space we had from our consulting company um, was, I think it was about 1,100 square feet. And we, we had signed that lease like during like the global financial crisis. Um, and so we were only paying like, oh my, I think we were paying like less than two grand a month for it. And it was like in downtown Toronto. Like wow. prime kind of great yeah. location, really worked out well for us. It was dirt cheap. And uh yeah, it, it couldn't have been more than twenty five hundred bucks a month, and so so that was you know we were able to float that through like kind of the last of our consulting company, and and then the other thing with hiring people is like kind of like you were saying about being in Canada is we didn't have to worry about we have for zero benefits there were absolutely zero benefits for working with us but everyone has you know socialized so there you're not worrying about that maybe if you if you have like a, if you need a drug plan. Like I'm sure there's people who wouldn't be wouldn't be able to work for us, but it was literally a non-issue. We told people when we interviewed, like I don't think we got benefits until we had about eight or nine people on staff, and even then our benefits were pr were pretty minimal. And and by U.S. standards, the cost of them was not like was cheap. Like it was really really cheap to add um, dental, basic extended health things like that. And and I think the story I've told you before, like as the measuring stick for it, is. In 2012, yeah, even by 2012, I made I made no money that year. Like, because um, I remember like filing my taxes, I didn't have to pay taxes because I didn't make enough money to do it. And I had my first child that year, and um, and you know we had uh, our midwife was fully paid for by like provincial healthcare, and like. We went to every appointment, every drug thing, like every every screening test you can think of was that. Um, delivered the baby in the hospital. They came to our house afterwards. Blah blah blah. Ne like never a bill. You never ever saw a bill anywhere. You need. I needed. We needed no extended health care for the whole process, uh, or sorry, health coverage. And um, and yeah, all you did was present your health card. And I was like, I can't. I can't fathom having to try and bootstrap a company in the states. Like I remember. Meaning, I remember having a conversation with uh, some other founders. I went to business software I don't know, four or five years ago and um, when we were still really small. And guys in, in New York who were trying to get office space and just to hire the first employee, they were spending like $1,000 a month on healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I, I couldn't 
you couldn't even put two and two together. So, yeah. well, and it's yeah. so often, you know, so many get carried away thinking, oh, I've got to be in San Francisco, I've got to be in the U.S. And there were certainly some advantages historically, but there's so many disadvantages as well, right? Like it's not just purely benefits by being in the U.S. And I think a lot of people, it's helpful to realize, oh, I don't have to be in the U.S. or you know, I can start a company here. And I think now, especially you know, Shopify, and it's nice to see more companies um, in Canada starting to show up and. Hopefully, people are more comfortable starting a business where they are instead of feeling like, oh, well, I could never do that because I'm not in the right place. Yeah. No, there's like, there is, um, the advantages of us being here is, you know, um, like I said, we were able to get some like really great office space, like rent uh, early on. Um, rent's definitely gone up in Toronto, but it's not like trying to get office space in New York, San Francisco, anything like that. And then, um, yeah, not, not having to worry about healthcare. Um, we, we charge in us dollars and about half of our customers are in the U S and so thank God the U S dollar is doing great. Cause it's like, basically it's, you make like the U S dollars about a dollar 35 to a dollar Canadian, uh, sorry, a U S dollars about a dollar 35 Canadian. So that goes a long way, um, in terms of like your labor costs versus the, your revenue you're making. Yeah. And, uh, and then, then there's other like government programs, whether it's grants or there's a there's a really large um, R and D tax credit. Uh, this program called Shred, which every major tech company in, in Canada heavily uses, and uh, it can it, it basically it can let you claim you know upwards of like 80% of your labor costs that are like strict like development costs. So if you have if you have a startup that is like dev heavy, um, you can you can claim a lot of that and get a lot you know like um, both like tax breaks and like literally uh, refunds for it. So that goes a long way in terms of, um, and even it's funny you mentioned Shopify. I think even on there, I remember reading their like IPO, like S1 filing and mentioned how large their shred claims were every year. And it was like millions of dollars for them. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. So the benefits are out there. The, the benefits are definitely out there. And, and we also, um, most of our teams in Toronto, we're about 35 people. And I think about 20, I think 25 or more are, are, are here, but, um, you know, we got one guy in Vancouver, we, we, uh, hired a few people in Poland and then we have support people like around the world. And, um, um, even when you talk about like hiring remote people, like, um, some of the people we've been able to find remotely, are just fantastic. Um, and I think we would have had a lot of trouble finding, finding them both in Canada and like, um, and being and affording them, especially at the time that we hired them. So yeah. So then, all of those savings translate to enabling you to buy a six-letter dictionary domain name. <laughs> and I know there's a story behind it. So go ahead and kind of walk us through how that unfolded, and what made you decide to go ahead and bite the bullet and pick it up. Yeah. So like, if, if anyone goes on my Twitter account, like the pin tweet I have is like. Uh, you know, it, it only took 1,677 days, but like we're now format. So our domain used to be format, but you replace the F with a four. So it's like numeral four ormat.com. Um, I had said that, that sentence that I just said there, numeral four ormat.com on the phone with a, maybe a million people like banks, businesses, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And usually wanted to kill myself. Um, but so the, the, how this all came, how that all came about was 
Lucas pitched, he's like the name format. And he was like, but we're not going to be able to get the domain name. He's like, so I, he's like, I think it would be kind of interesting to use a, a number cause it would kind of like, it would really stand out and it would like looks visually distinctive and all this stuff. And I, I don't have a, I'm not that, I'm not that opinionated when it comes to that kind of stuff, brand, et cetera. And, uh, I was like, okay, let's, let's give it a run. But we did reach out to the owners of format.com who back then was, um, a couple, uh, they were both computer science professors in Florida. Uh, they were computer, um, they were security researchers of all things. And they had had that domain since like the, like, like 95 or something. They, oh. and they used it for their personal website. It was, it was just a landing page. It had just like a back, like a background image and two links to their own domains, like that they used for like their blogs. So we reached out to them and we're like, Hey, would you have any interest in selling this? We're like a small startup. We're like looking to help creative professionals, you know, we're good people, that kind of stuff. And they, um, the, the husband got back to me or sorry, got back to Lucas initially and said, uh, thanks, but we've had this domain forever. People, everyone who knows us knows that that's our domain. Uh, if you guys ever are wildly successful, get back to us, like best of luck to you. And every year we would send a follow up email being like, Hey, how's it going? What's new? And like, we would be like, this is what we launched this year. We're still growing. We're scrappy. We're like super energetic. Do you have any interest in selling that domain name? And, uh, they, every year it'd be the same kind of thing. Like, thanks, but no thanks. And I can't remember every so often, like you'd have a conversation, a frustrating conversation about saying like numeral four or MAT and you, and I'd be like, Oh, you know, <laughs> go email I'm, them and say, all right, we're ready. <laughs> email them again. And so I was like, okay, I really gotta, like, I really gotta make this guy a compelling pitch. And I went on his website and I was looking around and, uh, noticed that he was, a a, um, um, uh, uh, he had a, his own, he had a pilot, his pilot's license. Um, and they, I can't remember where he was in Florida, but it was near Orlando. And, um, uh, my wife is oddly enough, a, um, she has like a multi-engine IFR rating. Uh, she's, she's just a real pilot. And, uh, or sorry, not a commercial pilot, but yeah, she, yeah. you know, she knows her, she knows her stuff. And, uh, she actually did, um, flow plane class outside of Orlando. And so when I emailed them, I was like, Hey, I saw on your website that you're, you're a pilot. I was like, I was actually just in Orlando and my, my wife was flying at Jack Brown's. Do you, have you ever heard of that place? Blah, blah, blah. And he always would take like months to reply to your emails. He emailed me back like 20 minutes later. and was like, <laughs> like everybody knows Jack Brown's like, that's where you got to go to do your float rating. Cause blah, 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 blah. And, uh, he's like, you know what? Like, uh, you guys have like kept at this and you seem like really nice people, you know, may, let, let's talk and maybe we can figure something out. I was like, fantastic. So we, he's like, but I'm really busy with, with, you know, the, the academic year and I got these conferences I got to go to. Let's try and schedule a call. Like it was like three months later. So we schedule a call and we do, we do that. And, uh, and, it, and it's kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll figure out a price. Um, cause he was kind of like, okay, I will sell it to you. We'll just figure out a price. I was like, okay. And then we were going to have a follow up call and I couldn't get through to him. And then I emailed him. I was like, Hey, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Doesn't get back to me. Just, I hear nothing from him. I was like, what in the world's going on? A month or so later, he emails me and he was like, Tyler, I was like, I'm so sorry that like missed the call and I haven't emailed back to you. He's like, I'm emailing you from the hospital. I'm like, oh. he's like, I'm in traction. Like I, he was in a car accident and he's like, He's like, the doctor said I'm going to have like a full recovery, but I'm like, 
in terrible shape and blah, blah, blah. He's like, so that's where I've been like, that's why you haven't heard from me. He's like, in worse news, I'm like, what? I'm like, how could this get worse? He's like, my wife and I have decided to separate. Um, so until that's done, clearly can't sell the domain name. He's like, but I'm pretty sure that in the settlement, I'll get the domain name. So I'm like, oh my God, this is actually, this is all happening after like we thought we were wow. going to get. So I immediately, like, I'm not joking. I immediately Google how long does it take to settle a divorce in, in Florida? And it was like, it takes like whatever, six to eight weeks. So no joke, like eight weeks later, he emails me. He was like, hey, Tyler, the divorce is settled. She got the domain name in the divorce. I was like, uh, he's like, this is, this is her email address. Like, best of luck. I was like, I, I, cannot, I cannot believe this is happening. Wow. So then I reached out to her, and she was like, I have no interest in selling. I'll be able to sell this domain name for like a million dollars, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but then I just kind of kept at it, kept at it with, with her, and I was like, you know, I understand your, your predicament, and blah, blah, blah. And, this is who we are and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and eventually she came around. Um, and she was like, I think she, again, like I remember her saying like, wow, you guys are really, um, cause she was trying to deal with like, um, like different like domain auctioneers and stuff like that. And she's like, everyone, everyone in this business seems so sleazy. Like what? And I was like, yeah, whatever you do, even if you don't sell us, like be careful. Like there's some snake oil in, in these, uh, in this world. And, uh, so eventually she came back to us and was like, you know what, I'm going to sell the domain, but I've decided like on a number and I'll give you the like right of first refusal. Um, and so she gave us a number, which can't disclose. Um, and yeah, we said, well, we'll do it. Um, it was for us, it was a lot of money at the time. It was, a, it's even today, it would have been a, a lot of money for us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we did it. Um, that, and, and you know, the, actually, the story keeps going from there. And I don't want to delve on this too long, but it is ridiculous. So hilariously, because her and her husband were both security researchers, hackers would try to get their domain name. So their net, their domain was registered with Network Solutions, and it was locked down, like in every way possible. Mm -hmm. And so when she tried to do the transfer, they were like, "Oh no, we're not." Like they're like, "Oh, you just have to do this and this and that." So we did this and this and that. And, and it wouldn't transfer. And it literally had to escalate to like, um, like the VP of security at, or something like at, oh, uh, wow. um, uh, with the, with the register and like, it, and, and she had to like mail in like sworn like statements and she had to like send her, in her drivers. Like, like there was the craziest escalation, I guess, cause they'd yeah. done everything to lock down the domain. And, uh, so eventually it was, it got done and Network Solutions finally transferred it over to us. But you want to talk about a stressful few days. It was oh, just like, sure. I, I can't believe like we're on the edge of getting this done. And uh, and I was just joking to you before that when I went to the bank to like do the wire transfer, like the woman was like, oh, what's this for? Like, are you buying a house or something? I was like, no, buying a domain name. <laughs> and like someone else came over and was like, did I just hear that correctly? Like, what do you mean? Like, how could you spend that much money on a domain name? So... Uh, so yeah, that's that's how we got it. And the, what's shocking is that there's even more crazy details which I can't get into. But wow. that's crazy enough as it is. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, and so yeah, a car accident and a divorce. How do you can't yeah, make that up? Yeah. There's always a story. There's always a story behind that. Yeah. Um, well, and but too, y'all didn't just buy it purely. Be, I mean, obviously you wanted it, but there was also a little bit of fear and defensiveness in getting it just to be safe that y'all probably wouldn't have paid as much if you weren't worried about 
the brand being acquired somewhere else or used in some other way. Yeah. You know, I was, I'd be, I'm sure I was pretty terrified that some competitor or any other kind of like website builder could, if they bought it and were like, Hey, we've, we've got a new platform called format or a new feature called format. And then someone tried to Google format portfolios and, and it wasn't us. Um, it would have been, it, it could have been, it could have been devastating. Um, but, but having the domain and, and, and that is our, like, you know, that's our like trademarked, you know, like we have the trademark on that and on, on format in a couple like U S Canada, EU. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that we like believe in and we think it's a strong brand and we've built our, um, our online publication, we, we changed the name of it to format magazine and, uh, it's, I, I definitely think it's worth it. And it, it conveys us, a you know, a, like I said, six letter dictionary domain, um, dot com domain is, is something that conveys a lot, like in terms of yeah. maturity of something, et cetera. So, yeah, absolutely. And once y'all cut over, what was the impact? Uh, positive, lots of, uh, new traffic, anything or just, no, so n- nothing in terms of new traffic. Um, we definitely took an SEO hit, um, like r- right away, uh, which was maybe on the order of magnitude of like, uh, maybe like 20% of all like organic search traffic. Um, uh, yeah. And like when you contact me about the, about this interview, I actually double checked what it was and like, you could see the drop, but then it came back within, I think about six months. Um, but there are still things that we used to be really highly ranked on that we're still not, but there are things that were, but there are other things that were highly ranked on that were, um, that we weren't before. So it's, you know, I, I, I think all SEO is just the black magic. So, yeah, uh, it, it really is. Um, but, uh, no, other than that, like that's, I, I, that's really kind of what it, it chalked up to. Um, uh, it, well, like, or that's what it shook out to. Yeah. So. So has y'all's growth been pretty linear over all these years? Were there inflection points where it really took off or specific events that really triggered something special or is it just slow and steady and reliable? It's, um, it's pretty like, you know, it's slow and steady. Well, I wouldn't say slow. It's, it's definitely steady, but we had in that first, in that first year we, we were growing, I think we had some months where we grew like 80% or something like that, which isn't that hard when you only got yeah. you know, a hundred customers. But, um, even when we had like, I don't know, like a thousand customers that we had, we were, we were growing really, really strong, like month over month and, and which was all through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this is one of these things of like, you know, you asked me like, if there's one thing you could do differently, that that's one thing that I, um, definitely wasn't aware of it myself and um and now I kind of look I look back on differently it was you know before when we were hitting that growth when we were adding like you know you're we adding five six seven eight thousand dollars of MRR in a month you're like well you do like you I don't know you have an instinct especially this is my the first company I ever started and like definitely first SaaS business and like SaaS metrics like the way people talk about them today versus five, six years ago, is just way different. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was kind of like, we, we hit this inflection point. They're like, no, like this, 
this growth is going to keep up like it, it, it'll die down but like next month is probably going to be healthy too because it's this is all word of mouth and um we definitely hit this inflection point where especially when i started getting paid like when i started getting paid and i think we had like eight people on salary at that point we weren't just surviving like our our my, our goal wasn't just to survive anymore it was to like grow mm-hmm. and my mindset and and was was always about what corners do we cut? How do we keep costs down? And that's all I was doing was like, we're surviving, we're surviving, we're surviving. And it probably took me too long to realize that we're no longer, like surviving isn't the goal anymore. Like we're, we're past that. Our, our goal yeah. is, to, is to think about, you know, what needs to grow and what needs to be invested in. And, and that, it took me too long to realize that. Um, so I think that's something that like once you actually hit that, and maybe that's kind of like, a bootstrap company, you you really are you really do need to survive. Uh, that is like there's like there's nothing in the bank that's going to save you, and so it's you're probably more geared towards that. And and you know what's funny is being broke was not stressful for me. Like that was just like well you know if we fail we fail, but like um, like I was okay with that. Um, whereas. The, once we were then scaling, then I was like, oh, this is a real thing. Like, we actually need to not just survive, we need to like succeed. I think that was more scary for me because I was like, you know, now we got payroll and we got like, you know, people's depending on us. And, um, and it's like our, it's, it would be our opportunity to blow. It's like, because we validated it at that point. So that was, it was, that was a lot scarier for me. But that was definitely the, the thing that I, in retrospect, realized that I, my biases were, um, I wasn't even aware of them. Uh, yeah. at the time. No, yeah. you, you definitely have to shift your mindset from survival mode to, Hey, we're in a decent spot. Like we can invest money in the business and, and grow. And when you're bootstrapping, it's so much easier to think, Oh, well, I'll just keep my costs low and I can, the business can last indefinitely. And then once you kind of mm-hmm. cross that threshold where you're a little more comfortable, you know, it's difficult to say, Hey, we can spend a little money on growing the business. And yeah, it's, it's difficult. I, I, definitely struggle with some of that myself. So, um, so, and maybe the domain name is going to be the answer to this, but what was the most difficult, stressful thing y'all dealt with? Um, yeah, that, that week with the domain name of like literally trying to get network solutions to transfer it over, that was definitely stressful. But, um, to be honest, nothing, nothing's been that crazy. Um, I, I worked at Amazon for three years on the on the okay. payment servers and then like the the data team and like oh, I I went through like Black Friday today right yeah, yeah I went through like you know three Black Fridays at, at Amazon and um, like one of them on the payments team of all things and um, it, n- nothing like it doesn't it, compare like, this this does not compare to to what what life was like at Amazon um, and you know I know a couple of founders um, of like wildly successful tech companies that everyone has heard of like that all came within like that came within like a week of missing payroll um and like literally made payroll on like a loan from like you know family or something like that and that is the kind of stuff that i would am not built for i would i'd be vomiting all day long if, if i was in that situation i would i'd be terrified um so maybe we have to, we, you know, being bootstrapped, you got to play it a little bit safer, but I'm okay saying that. Cause like, I know who I am and I'm not like, 
I don't need to be, I don't need to be Elon Musk. Um, yeah. like I don't, I need to be, I don't need to be leveraged to the hilt. Um, you know, he super happy that people like that exist and they're doing their thing, but, uh, that's not me. Um, but, uh, aside from that, yeah, like, you know, you have outages, like, you know, there's outages and like, you know, when AWS goes down for a day, it's, it's terrible. And or like, you know, there's a DNS outage for a day. It's, it's, that stuff sucks. Um, but those are, those are the things that you're just like, okay, how do we make sure we never go through this again? And, yeah. and so I don't think anything's been that, that stressful. Definitely the, the first couple people we ever had to fire, I got like, I'm a pretty, uh, um, not to say an emotional uh, person, but I like, I, I take that very personally. Um, yeah. I take like my personal relationships very seriously and, um, have a lot of trouble detaching like the personal from the business and that, um, so that was definitely that was definitely tough um, the first few times we had to do that. Um, but even that, like, you know, you you learn from and you and you grow from. So yeah, I think I think there's a slight difference with infrastructure products versus like with Sifter. I was never stressed out. Well, I mean, I was, but not legitimately. Um, and kind of the same thing I would imagine the format. If it goes down, it goes down for a little bit. People are generally understanding, right? Like nothing's online. You know, five nines or not nothing, but few things. Yeah. And uh, with infrastructure, it's a little bit different, but that's also a conscious decision. I think a lot of people, especially developers get this idea like, Oh, I wish I had this infrastructure piece. Then you build it. It's like, Holy crap, this sucks running something like this because if it goes down for a split second, we're costing people money. Whereas a business where, yeah, it's an inconvenience if it goes offline, but you know, bring it back up and everything's fine. The worst case scenario usually isn't all that bad. I think it's a tough lesson to learn. Uh, yeah, like, you know, we've, we had an outage once. I remember with some guy, he was like, oh, I was like just going, I was literally walking in for an interview and like the site was, my site was down. Like you guys suck, blah, blah, blah. You know, that stuff's terrible. Um, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And luckily almost all that stuff is mitigated now. Like we have almost all of that mitigated. Um, but oh my God, at Amazon, like I, I made, I made mistakes that like, you know, um, my, my first production deployment was, uh, was we were making a cha- um, a billing change for Amazon used to run like a Netflix like mail DVD mail delivery service in in Europe um, and in in Germany and I we had to make some billing descriptor change or something and I messed it up uh, what I messed up was I didn't know that I had to I didn't know that the SQL command I was running auto didn't auto commit I had to like commit it after before closing my console and I messed up like a quarter million billing transactions um like things like that, yeah. like, man, I can, oh God, I can think of other things like during a Harry Potter thing. I once, I, we had to reauthorize all these Harry Potter, like someone bought, like everyone who pre-ordered a Harry Potter book, we had to re-pre-auth their credit cards. So we, we re-pre-authorized them and like had to do it in bulk. And, um, there's a type of European credit card. I can't remember what it's called, uh, Swift solos. And, um, so we just, I just was like, oh, we can just, we can just flood our payment processor with this. They can easily take the load, and they couldn't. And we took down, like, Swift Solo credit card processing at the largest credit card processor in America across their entire network for like a day. Um, oh, I was like, and so it was like, if some random person from the UK was tra- like in America and was trying to use their credit card somewhere like anywhere that the largest payment processor was using, their card would have been denied because of me. Like for one thing, for a pre like for pre-os on a Harry Potter book. Yeah. 
Yeah. We have never we have never hit that scale <laughs> format. Um, so I don't yeah. that I don't worry about. Like I said, that I think I think I got taught like my threshold for terror like got had a was set really high at Amazon and and so everything else I can deal with. Yeah, in my experience, that's probably one of the best skills you could pick up is to just have that go through that and then realize no matter what I do here, it's not going to be that bad. I just put your head down, fix it, and get back to it. So right on. Um, so that's pretty much it. Is there any kind of one last parting tip you would have for somebody else who wants to start an app, start some kind of software business? Um, I think, I think the, one of the main things that I always talk about is, you know, when someone asks for like feedback on their ideas, you like one, make sure you have the right people around you. Like there's just no, there's no replacing that. And, um, I'd say that Lucas and I really lucked out on that, like, cause we didn't know each other that well at the time. And you just need to go pick up like, um, the, like there's a book, the entrepreneur's dilemma. Like it's just case studies of things gone wrong and like how you kind of, how you can mitigate them sometimes through like structuring of the company and shares Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But, um, but even like we, we oddly just by sheer coincidence, like the division of what we were interested in and passionate about fell where it was pretty aligned. So like, um, we could make compromises really well in terms of like, well, this is the technical decision. This is the design decision. And like, how do you, like, how do you make the right compromise? Um, but then also like things like in the early days, cause you're doing everything like, so I, I did all of our bookkeeping for the first, I think like two years. Um, and I had automated the crap out of that. Like you were saying that you had everything that like, I, I knew like, I knew how to do like all sorts of accounting and like, um, you know, but like I didn't file our taxes, but like, I knew the ins and outs of it and everything was like, everything was automated as much as possible in terms of like paying invoices, doing payroll, uh, bookkeeping, blah, blah, blah. So that when we actually did outsource it to somebody, it was pretty easy to hand it off. And, you know, I actually was interested in that stuff. Um, and there were other things that Lucas was interested in that I was like, Oh God, I would, you'd kill me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's that part. Um, and the same thing's true for, for anybody you hire. Um, that, you know, you, you want people who, you know, genuinely have your back. I think that's the, that's, that's the main thing there. And then in terms of an idea or what you're pursuing, if you're not, if you're not interested in it, like you're, if you're not passionate about the space, you're, you're like, you're done. There's, there's going to be someone else who is like, if you've got a great idea for a tool that well, you know, be awesome for hedge fund managers, but you hate hedge fund managers. Guess what? Like someone's probably got a comparable idea who like loves working in finance and, and they're going to probably beat you because they care more about their customer and, uh, all that stuff, you know? Um, like I, I think the great story I heard there once is uh, Des from intercom. Like they, they used to have a company that was a uh, exception tracking mm-hmm. like for rails apps. Yeah. And someone asked him, it was like, like, do you like eat, breathe and like, do you dream about how Ruby can create like exceptions? And, and he's like, no, he's like, Oh, well, like there's probably somebody who does like, yeah. and they're probably going to like care about this more than you. Um, 
And uh, he was like, oh, you're right. Um, and, and I think that's, <laughs> the, the, the same is true here. Like, um, if, if you, if you, if you're not passionate about it, like you have to, like, like you said, eight years in, I know everything that's still wrong with our product. And if you're not like interested or if you're not interested in the people who have to use your software and, and their problems in their lives and making the, and, you know, improving their, you know, lot in life and giving them value, then you're, you're not going to last through eight years of, you know, bookkeeping and, uh, firing people and dealing with outages and all that stuff. So, um, that's, that's the other thing there. And, and then I guess lastly is like, there are only certain businesses you can bootstrap. Um, there's, a um, you know, like we, again, we stumbled into this. We were super lucky that, um, you know, not, um, I think it's really tough to advertise to our customers and, um, they're price sensitive. So you can't just spend a ton of money to enter into our space. And so it means it's harder like for a, you know, super well-funded company to, to kind of eat up the niche and, uh, same thing's true. If you're trying to bootstrap a company, there's, there has to be unit and economics to it, um, because you have to be able to bootstrap it. Like you're not going to bootstrap a, a hardware company. You're not going to bootstrap, you know, something that has like, you know, massive infrastructure costs. And you, you need to be aware of that if you're in the right business. And it's probably also really, really hard to bootstrap something that needs like, um, sales teams, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I remember at Business Software once I, I was having a conversation with Dharmesh Shah and he, he said to me, uh, he's like, the one, thing, one of these things that engineers do not get is that um, there are products that people buy and there are products that people are sold. And um, if you like, if you're making a product that is sold and you are not a sales driven organization, he's like, you're dead. Like, and so you better know which one you're in. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. So like our product is not one that is sold and, and is, you know, like I said, it's very self-serve uh, which leans itself to like being bootstrapped. So yeah. if you, if you want to, if you want to bootstrap, that's like, that's the kind of like the things you got to get right up front, um, or, or at least get lucky on some of them. So. Yeah. No, there's, there's so many facets. It feels like that a subtle decision about the type of product you run, the way it sells, um, infrastructure or not, you know, all these little facets add up and really influence what that business is going to become, whether you like it or not, you kind of have to go down a certain path. And yeah. If you don't realize the implications of going down that path ahead of time, you can end up two, three years in and be very unhappy with the, <laughs> the path you've chosen, uh, accidentally, right. which and, is all of your own making. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, with developers, it's easy to think, oh, this sucks. I don't enjoy doing this. I could build a business out of this. Mm -hmm. Just because you, you know, hate how difficult a certain task is doesn't mean like, you, you know, you're not going to necessarily be passionate about it, right? You're passionate about how much you hate how difficult it is. You're not passionate about necessarily the problem, the, the core of the problem itself. And I think that's something that a lot of people get confused with and think, yeah, I'm passionate about it. I hate the problem. But hating the problem doesn't mean loving the solution, I think, is the a very subtle difference there. So yeah, I wanted to mention that from what you were saying a second ago. Yeah. And the, the, the other thing, like the other general piece of advice I try to like, and any ever give somebody like when they ask is like, don't, don't take anyone's advice as gospel mm -hmm. in that, um, 
you know, like you read, you read a blog post of like, oh, this worked for us or this didn't work for us and blah, blah, blah. And that like, you really, really have to think about it, like not from, you know, replicating it, but like from first principles and that you're the, the context of your business and where it is, is, is so, is so important. Um, and like the, the example I use there is when we went from, you know, just like four people to like seven people, like the way we were making software and managing tasks and stuff completely fell apart on us. And I, and I it blew my mind. I was like, how is this possible? We added three people and now we're like, you know, just like falling over each other. And, and, and it's because you add so like there's an explosion of the like number of lines of communication and, and not everyone can be part of any, every com- conversation anymore. And so we, we changed the way we worked. And then I remember reading this fantastic blog post about how um, one team was, was using Trello to manage their tasks. And I was like, Oh, this is fantastic. We set up, so we moved over to that and it worked fantastic for us until we got to like 15 people. And then we had like multiple projects and it just wouldn't work for us. Awesome. To it all fell apart. And then, you know, and then we switched to the next thing and then, you know, we got to another size and then we're like, no, this doesn't work anymore. And then you divide it again. And, and, uh, and this, and that goes on and on and on. And, um, you know, I have all the respect in the world for companies that grow really quickly and have the ability to adapt to that because, um, I'm, I'm, I'm like very fortunate to know, uh, the guys who started Shopify and I met them when there were six people and now they're like, I think they're like 1400 people now, but I was like, Oh, like I would go to one of each one of their offices and it was like, Oh, there's, you know, the six of you guys in this little space. And it's like, Oh wow. Look, you moved into this big office and there's 40 of you. Oh wow. A bigger office. There's a, like a hundred. My God, there's 500. Oh my God, there's a thousand. And that at, at each one of those steps, it's like, how did you, like, because I know how badly our processes broke when we went from 15 to 30, like, but what, what happens at 60 and then like a hundred and, and yeah. 500,000 and, and to do that, you know, to kind of double staff every year, holy moly, like you, you better have like the humility to find people who've gone through those experiences and, and, and learn from them. And, and that's what I was saying in terms of like, take everybody's advice with a grain of salt. One of the best things I've ever, I ever did, like you want to talk about ROI of stuff. Um, I don't go to a lot of meetups, but I, I go to like a handful of conferences and, um, there's one in Boston every year called business of software. And I, I didn't make it this year and I didn't make it last year, um, due to scheduling, but, uh, or due to other, you know, other things I just couldn't make it. But I went to that four years in a row and, uh, and it's all software founders. And I would find people who were like one year ahead of us. They would have like, um, you know, they'd have a few more people or like they just hired a, a head of marketing or they just start, you know, they were ramping up like their AdWords account. And it's like, Hey, like, what did you do? Like what worked, what didn't work? And getting context from those people, like getting their feedback of like, Oh, this didn't work. This did work. Like your AdWords account, like it's, you're going to need to, if you're not willing to spend like $5,000 a month, you're going to have problems like yeah. blah, 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 blah. Don't think that you can manage it. You need this. Like, so getting all that context, then it's like you hit the ground running. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to learn from your mistakes, but it's like, it is immense if you can learn from someone else's mistakes. Um, it's the leverage on that is insane. It's just absolutely insane. Um, and so that's, that, that's, that would be like high, high on my I list of advice. That's literally the first sentence in my book is don't take too much advice <laughs> as I lay into all of my advice and thoughts and, uh, 
but yeah, it's the best way to do is look at the, the companies, the teams that are one year ahead of you on the, the growth curve and learn from them and don't get too settled into thinking you've got a problem solved because the next hire, two hires is going to push you over the edge and that process is going to fall apart and need to grow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Well, this has been great, man. I really appreciate it. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, people that are going to get a lot of value out of this. So thanks for taking the time. My pleasure, man.